Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Welcome to another episode of In the Landscape. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm here in studio with Charles Sadler. (laughs) And I'm Kate Sadler. And we're your hosts for this podcast. We're actually on the road today. Where are we? Can you describe? Uh, We're in a very special part of New York State and North America and the United States, the Schwan Gunk Ridge. Yeah, it's we we have a view of it right outside the back. So we're (laughs) we're really lucky to have this recording retreat. Which is, I guess we should place it in the landscape. We're about two hours from New York City, roughly. And we're not far from the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a geological phenomenon that is adjacent to the Catskill Mountains. Yeah. And so it's this, these tall cliffs, I guess, that right. I don't know what the material is. It's known for rock climbing. Mm-hmm. And it's some hiking. of the best fall foliage in North America. Great carriage trails. So the hiking, there's, there's some, some steep hikes, and then there are mild hikes for families. And it's parents to a young son. We're, <laughs> we're on the mild hike side of things at the moment. Today is going to be an interesting topic. We may even have more material today than we have time for in, in our short episode style, trying to get in on, on commuting time. So we try to keep it to 30 minutes. And if ideas come to you as you're listening, we welcome your feedback. We'll be referencing some, th- some things that are specific to our region here in North America. Mm-hmm. And there may be feedback from those listeners in other parts of the world for whom this topic differs. So today we're talking about neighbors. That's right. How to be neighborly. (laughs) Borders, land disputes, plants. There's a lot. I think even if you have a huge property, you still have neighbors. Right. There's always a neighbor. There's always a neighbor. 200,000 acres in Montana. There's still, at some point, there's a neighbor. The neighbor could be the federal government. Yeah, that's true. So before we get to this topic of neighbors... We are going to start something new for our podcast. So we're we're six episodes in now, and we've said some things, and listeners have heard some things, and we're starting to go back and re-examine what we've said and look for ways that we can either expand on what we covered or, in some cases, make corrections on what we've covered. So you've got a couple of uh, quick corrections for us, and I'll let you share that with our listeners. Yeah, part of the process of of our conversation is continual refinement and it causes us to look, do a little additional research, things that we don't know as much about. So a couple of corrections. In a previous episode, we mentioned evergreens, evergreen trees when they, there's a certain time of year, I think I said that they drop all their leaves or their, or their foliage. So what I meant to say is, let's say it's a white pine or a holly tree or a pittosporum. There'd be certain times of year where it would drop the foliage, the evergreen foliage that's generally two years or older, two years, three years. And so some species can look pretty bare at that time, but they still have the current year's foliage. That was one correction. And the other correction were that I was not aware of oaks growing in a desert condition. And I was quite wrong with that. There are, here in North America, there's the Sonoran Desert. In the Southwest, there's 21 species of oaks that grow in the Sonoran Desert. <laughs> so not just one oak, but 21 species right. actually, actually do grow in the desert. And so those, to a good extent, they look similar to a live oak. So it's like a small, roundish leaf. And they even explain how the small leaves are great for dissipating heat. So a larger leaf creates like dead air, basically. A smaller leaf, the air travels around it and it can cool itself off. 
I think we also observed that there might be an issue with too much transpiration if the leaf surface area is too oh, right. too great. Correct. Just sending water out into the ether <laughs> right and left. Yes. Well, that's fascinating. So if you hear something and you would like to, again, make an addition or a correction to it, we certainly welcome feedback at connect at kinggardeninc.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter at in underscore landscape. I think you can even reach out to us on our Instagram page if you're following there for some photos. Sure. And we just love to keep track of feedback. We're always taking ideas for, for new episodes. And, um, and we love having an opportunity to circle back and kind of discuss more about what we're learning just by virtue of doing this podcast. I think mm-hmm. that's exciting. To start off our topic of neighbors, I was reminded of that quote, good fences make good neighbors. Oh, right. And I was wondering, like, who said that? Where did that come from? Or is that just a, that you know, a saying? Robert Frost, that's like New England, more or less. Yeah, yeah. So, so it comes from the poem, Mending Wall. It is by the American poet Robert Frost. And we'll go ahead and post a link to that poem in our show notes. Because as we were saying at the top of the episode, having no matter how much space you have, there's always a neighbor. This, it's kind of a meditation on that separation and trying to create those boundaries that you mm-hmm. know, some listeners might like to read further. So we'll go ahead and, and add that. But good fences make good neighbors. Is that true? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Where do we start on this topic of neighbors? What's, what's the first step in even understanding who your neighbor is and where they begin, you end and they begin. Oh, right. Okay, good point. We talked about uh, property surveys in, a, in previous episodes. That would be like the first tool is finding your property survey. We did a little research on that. And so some of the first surveying that was done of properties go back, goes back to 1400 BC, they think, which was the Egyptians. And the reason they were doing that was more or less to be able to tax the land. So like the surveying to have a, a precise boundary whether it's agriculture, depending what the land use is. For clients that we deal with, whether it's public, private institutions, in some cases, they don't have a current survey. It could be surveyed. But for tax purposes, the municipality that the property's in, they generally have a, have a precise survey where it's, it's some kind of a document. And there's more and more online GIS. So there's often a document which you can access online. Because in many cases, the municipality, at least in the front of a property, facing a roadway or something, it, that, that is your neighbor. <laughs> so, right. you know, we don't, we don't necessarily own the sidewalk. Some, but someone else's, some other entity is taking care of that. And the term there, there's lots of terms. It might vary by country or region. The term an easement would be if there's, let's say you have a two-acre property and it borders a road. So the, depending on the size of the road, if it's a secondary street or if it's a, if it's a thoroughfare, it's, there's generally a setback where it's, could be a 10-foot setback or more. And that, so that area is often maintained by the landowner, whether it's mowed or whatever's occurring in that situation. If there's lawn, it's mowed. But the municipality, there might be utilities that would occur in that setback. That would not be part of the parcel that they're taxed on. So you have the survey. What about, I mean, the survey is, it's on a sheet of paper and it may not have kind of practical implications for your neighbors crossing a line and cutting down trees or something. How do you establish where those boundaries are? Is there anything you can set in the landscape that can help delineate that space for you and your neighbor visually so that, you know, conflict is <laughs> held at bay? Okay, yeah, great point. So when we've come across that, 
on older properties, whether it's a hundred years old or hundreds of years old. In some cases, there's these quite beautiful stone markers where it could be up to three or four feet tall, like a stone pillar that's six inches by six inches, let's say roughly. In some cases, there's even, it's drilled. So a surveyor could put his or her tool in that to precisely mark and measure. On a survey, there might be letters or numbers. So it would say BB. And so on the survey, it would say this marker is BB, this is AA, this is CC. And that stone marker could have those corresponding details. And so we often suggest that if it's a large enough property and you're concerned about the boundaries, that, that you know where you end and the neighbors begin, those could be installed. Something that's permanent, where like, let's say like a wood marker, that might be good for 10 years, but something that's really going to last for a very long time. And so that would be, instead of doing a fence, if a fence wasn't necessary, it could be a marker of some kind. We actually encountered this on a property once. I certainly won't mention where, but there was a permanent marker and we were able to use that out to a point on the street to run a mason's line so that we could measure for a series of trees that had been cut down. So we were able to give ourselves kind of a visual marker based on these permanent boundary markers to assist us with uh, one of our clients and their their requirement to establish where that boundary was. So it wasn't just speculation based on the drawing. It was a physical sort of representation. Right, because things shift, a stone wall, it could settle. So that might, like a, a large stone wall over a period of time, it could settle. And that could be a foot or two off. It could be inaccurate where these stone markers are buried. So it's, even if a tree fell on it, it probably would not move. That's a little bit of, of where you would start off. Do you have anything else to, to add to how we kind of get started down this road of, of figuring out where our boundaries are? A marker, a fence. You could go to the municipality to find the, the survey. You could also go to the municipality to find out who the neighbor is. In oh. some cases, maybe it's, it's a parcel of land mm. and there's no, there's no structure on it. So if this could be rural, you might have a, a ranch and you want to have 10 neighbors and they might not have houses <laughs> mm. by going to the municipality like for instance for a fence permit in some municipalities you have to notify your neighbors i'm planning to put up a fence and the neighbor has to be aware of that in advance and you can find out who's again it goes back to tax who's paying tax on that piece of land it always goes back to taxes <laughs> <laughs> death in taxes right, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so one of the big topics we've covered quite a bit on, we've established you're a certified arborist. And so trees are kind of foremost in our minds. And and certainly I think in terms of neighborhood conflict, trees can be a big issue. So tell us a little bit about trees. Are there rules? Obviously, they may be specific to location. So you should always look up this information as it applies to you in your region. But what are some of the things that you have to share with us about trees? Well, let's see some of the basics. These are like very commonly asked questions, whether it's a, a private residence, public, an institution, even a, a municipality. Some of the general guidelines when you look up basic laws here in the United States would be if the tree, if it's 100% on your neighbor's property, that's your neighbor's tree, which would be obvious. If the branches reach over to your property, it's common law, commonly understood and established in law that you can prune that neighbor's branch up to your property line. And then a funny little caveat with that, if there's fruit on that tree, the fruit is, is still owned by your neighbor. So you can prune the branch, <laughs> but the, 
if it was an apple tree, let's say that fruit is still the property of your neighbor, even if it's hanging on your property. And then apparently there's a difference if that's fallen fruit. So right. <laughs> before oh, you funny eat. little nuances yeah, that yeah. you find out where it gets a little more complicated. Let's say there's a corner of your property and there's where three properties come together, which is not uncommon. And there's a tree that you, that is on all three properties to some extent. So all three property owners would have partial ownership of that tree. And the law suggests that they, before any action is taken, before that tree is like cut down or pruned, let's say, if it was on your property, if the part was on your property, you could prune it. But the law suggests more or less cooperation. So I look out and I see, oh, this, this old sycamore tree, it's rotten, it's decayed. I just moved in with young children. I'm very nervous. I want to cut this down right away. So to do that, I'd have, if I did that without permission of the other tree owners, I'd be in violation. So like that they're shared property. And of course, there are legal implications, but I think it should be stated. I've referenced this formula in the past in passing, but there some trees, depending on the size, depending on whether they're native, like high value trees, the age of the tree, there is a formula to calculate the value of trees and they can be in the tens of thousands of dollars. So if a tree is cut down and it's a big native shade tree of high value, there is a way to assess what that value was and to bring that to bear in a court case if you cut down a tree. So it's not just about keeping good relations among neighbors, but you could face financial liability if you move forward without, at least for whatever percentage of that tree was owned by the neighbor, without really getting clear on these points. Right. When you look up uh, this code and sort of the ramifications of the law, they even go into what would the average value of trees be. And so by doing the tree valuation for various clients that have been cut down, our experience would support what the average costs are. So they'll say small trees are in the hundreds of dollars. So this is let's say a maple tree that just grew up and that's quite, that's, that's like a sapling or a small tree that's going to be in the hundreds of dollars at the most. The average trees that would be a medium age. So let's say it's maybe like the, like the size of your, of your thigh, of your leg, that's going to be in like 1500, like in that price range. When it's a fully grown mature tree, a beech tree, an oak tree, some of these hardwood trees, it could be 10,000 up to like roughly 60,000 is the range. And we've had that where there's been trees we valued that were 150-year-old oak tree, let's say, or older. That was very large, like a 30, 40-inch caliper. So it it would be bigger than your waist, (laughs) sometimes quite a bit bigger. Now, you mentioned that if a branch is overreaching our property, we have a right to prune it. And as I've learned watching you work, when you prune, you want to go to a, a junk juncture, right? Yeah, but the juncture might not be over your property line. So just chopping a limb off is probably not a good idea. Is that correct? Right. Like, In some municipalities, there's there's penalties for any type of pruning that is which should be detrimental to the health of the tree. And so, when we're talking about co ownership of a tree, does that mean the physical trunk is across the property line? Because correct. I'm wondering right. about okay. And then if you have roots that are crossing into your property line and kind of disturbing the soil or messing with the fence, is there any recourse there? Because I imagine pruning large roots, again, might fall under that like detrimental treatment. So that would be the uh, law and the code does state that too. So let's say we move into a property or we're working on a property 
and the homeowner, the municipality, wants to put a swimming pool in. Mm-hmm. And there's a 250-year-old oak tree. And so you'd have to excavate those roots. So it's, I guess, the gist of being neighborly is communication, having some expert opinion. And so I've been involved in projects where it might be possible to put that swimming pool in and cut those roots. There could be advanced planning where the tree could be inoculated, fertilized. There could be steps taken where uh, maybe this, there, there could be, there was a project in Dallas. I remember a very large residential project and they were, they were using an air spade to, there was these, these high value to the homeowner uh, pecan trees and the home was going to be built amongst this grove of existing pecan trees. And they were going to air spade, which is blowing out the soil with a high powered air. So there's no cutting of the roots. And then they were going to use a, a structural soil, which is a, an aggregate. There are air voids between it. It doesn't compact, which is like a, it's a Cornell proprietary product. So they were going to build this beautiful house and not disturb the trees. And there was a consulting arborist involved who was working with the landscape architects and the architects to ensure. And there was extensive uh, protection for construction. And there was ongoing supervision to make sure that the trees were protected. There's a way to accomplish goals of of all the stakeholders and still maintain tree health. I guess in some ways, too, the idea is if you've done your research, you can figure out what, what you just have to sort of let go. <laughs> some, of, some of the neighborly relationship is just coexisting. And so if it really is not a danger, it's just something you're not thrilled about, but you, you can't cut it because it wouldn't be healthier. You, you, you have no recourse, really, at least if you're informed of that. You can maybe <laughs> relax, look the other way, plant something to screen it or whatever it is. Like the illusion, I think, may be that the property owner that has all this control and this freedom, and it's really not true. It's really never true 100%. There's always, there could be a creek that comes through your property or water, or there's always, unfortunately, that even as a property owner, you don't have that much control. Your neighbors could build an addition. They could cut down trees. Things, I guess the illusion would be that things are going to stay the way they are. And it's not true. Trees grow up. Trees die. Buildings are built up. Buildings come down. So that it's, I guess, going with the flow and good landscape design, good landscape architecture, a good arborist can make the views and the conditions as beautiful and as welcoming as possible. And as you mentioned, often be sort of an intercessor so that you don't know that so that the neighborly relationship doesn't have to be confrontational you can bring someone in who can maybe explain how things will be changed for the better or again certified arborist can say you know this this limb really is a threat to your neighbors they have kids if something were to happen you would be on the hook and so they can be the ones to communicate that and you don't just seem like an angry angry person across the fence oh right i like that term a third party, a professional, can use diplomacy. Yeah. And I've been on calls where the neighbors were screaming and shouting. They were so upset. They had, in that particular case, it, it was based on misinformation. Someone that had previously pruned the tree said, if, if your neighbors prune their side of the tree, the tree might fall on your house, which was completely inaccurate. And so the steps we took were, the tree was mostly on the neighbor's property. And so we communicated, there's dead limbs that were hanging over our client's home. And so we wanted to remove those. And so that it was not, so this was, I think it was a black oak tree that was hundreds of years old. And so by pruning 
some more or less modest dead limbs, the tree's not going to fall over. It's this, the foundation, it's a 200 plus year old foundation that's very sturdy. (laughs) But the person had misinformation from someone that had previously pruned it. And so it took a lot to undo that inaccurate information. But by the end of the conversation, the shouting had ceased and they they had confidence. I said, this is going to make it safer, actually. And I can see how how just the other neighbor may never have been able to get over that hurdle of like, this is the information. And, you know, I mean, how how would you sort of counteract that without an expert neutral party to come in and kind of mediate for you? Right. Makes sense. So some of the other issues we kind of wanted to cover, because trees, trees are the big one, but, you know, occasionally vines will come across. I saw a, an article, I wish I could reference it, I just can't remember, but bamboo is starting to cause lawsuits among neighbors because mm-hmm. it's so invasive, I guess is the word. What about these sort of negative habitat issues? If your neighbor has an ivy patch and things are living in it, or items are creeping across is do you have any recourse uh, what would you suggest you see that with fences when fences can be undermined by vines trees can be undermined where a fence are more more or less can be taken down by vines where over time the fence will be consumed and the weight of the vines will destroy the fence and it can do the same thing to trees it takes longer with trees but it could still happen there's a national tree company who did an article on this type of issue and they suggested to always begin with common sense. You know, before, there's, before you write a letter or call the town or contact a lawyer, just communicating with your neighbor and just using the words, I'm concerned, I have this concern. And that vines, bamboo, there's uh, Japanese knotweed. So there's some recent, more, like more recent invasive plants that are more or less, there's almost nothing you can do. That, so they're so aggressive that you really want to be on top of them. And even there's often, often no eradicating it. It's difficult to eradicate, but you can manage it. So more or less having a management plan. And that might be English ivy will climb trees and fences, which is, that's an evergreen ivy. And that can be very detrimental. So it would be similar to having the trees inspected for their health, having these vines and other aggressive plants. Maybe it's every year they are pruned back and there's a division. So at the property line, there's like a, a client in, in, in Greenwich, Connecticut, where we've done that for. There's a golf course adjacent to the property, more or less maintaining that fence line. There's deer fencing that's, I don't know if it, was, if it was synthetic or metal. It wasn't that sturdy. It was a barrier, but it couldn't, couldn't handle heavy uh, weight from vines. And just cutting those vines at the base on a, about every two years probably would be enough. But checking it every year, there's that term policing your ground. So just walking the property line. Are there limbs that are going to fall on the fence? Are there vines that are taking over? And so it's with any of these boundaries and fences, it, it's not a one-time item to install the fence or the hedge that, that they do require some maintenance. So really anything we would say about what the neighbors might do to us and our property are things we should be considerate of as property owners or even renters and be mindful of which, what we're planting and whether that's going to potentially cause an issue down the road. Because as you mentioned, this idea that the landscape is sort of fixed and it's going to stay one way forever is, is one of the sort of mistakes we make and that can lead to problems down the road. 
You also mentioned, as we were researching this article, water and erosion. So we have had, we just referenced water in our last episode, and hopefully our irrigation systems are all in check and we're we're doing great. And we had talked a little bit about like runoff and erosion, just as it would affect our own properties, but this can actually be an issue between neighbors. Right. You often see it where it's like playing detective. And so there'll be an issue will arise and then... Like just like a doctor would ask you lots of questions to get to the bottom of it. There was a, uh, we were contracted by a, by a municipality and a lawyer for that one case. And so by doing research, that can very quickly it change the hydrology where a small stream is suddenly overwhelmed and there's, maybe there's pollution from that shopping mall is getting into that stream. It's causing erosion. So I guess the question is, to what extent do you have responsibility if your hillside washes out and takes down a fence and a neighbor's vegetable patch? I mean, is that your responsibility? And just to bring us back to trees a little bit, because it is a related concept, if you're at the very edge of a big property and a tree falls, like it just falls onto your yard, nobody's been really paying attention. What are the standards for whether you're responsible or not, at least here? Yeah, good question. So let's see the first one, the erosion. When one is doing construction, you have to have a, let's say for a patio or expanding a property, you have to have a erosion plan where you're going to install silt fences during construction. The term, the runoff from the property, let's say the house is so many thousands of square feet and there's an addition that's, that's so many thousand more. Rain gardens, detention ponds, the municipalities more and more we're finding, they don't want that runoff to increase from your property. If the current amount of water that's leaving your property is, let's say, 10, 10x, and you're going to expand a college campus, like whatever that might be, the standards are the water leaving your property should not increase. So you have to take measures, which could be grading, a retention pond, swales, dry wells. So there's ways to, to capture that rainwater. So that's if there's construction done. So it's not always enforced. And so if you, let's say you, you start experiencing lots of erosion, you could contact, if there's a neighbor that you're aware of that did construction, you could contact them, contact the municipality, express your concern. But more and more, particularly in the Northeastern United States where there's lots of development, the municipalities are, are, are pretty strict about that, that the, the development should not increase erosion or stormwater. And there's engineers, we've been on projects where engineers have to do very regular reporting and documentation that these measures were taken and that when they're building dry wells and cisterns and retention ponds, that it's, there's photographic documentation that it's being done properly. What they're finding, what did happen in the past, the contractors were installing it. It wasn't necessarily effective. So it's underground, but it's not actually working. <laughs> Whoops. Now, this, I think, brings us to kind of the the final thought for today's episode, which is this idea of force majeure or acts of God. So that tree that's on a property line that hasn't been maintained or a huge flood that washes out your yard, but you had, you had put in some of these measures to, you know, the runoff should not be more, but, but the storms are worse than they were. If a neighbor has done a reasonable amount of maintenance, then there's no recourse. Like, Right, that's things the, happen. Trees fall down, as we, we've alluded to in other episodes, and 
hillsides wash out. Is that correct? Right. So that's that's what the, what the legal code, as I've have uh, found it here in, in the United States, it says it might diff, differ by country, of course. A municipality might slightly vary, but it says more or less when that neighbor's limb or tree falls onto our property, the law says was that tree reasonably maintained, and so a certified arborist, another professional, could say. This tree has been decaying for more than a decade. It was not reasonably maintained. There were obvious signs it was not. If that was the case, then the property where the tree fell from, that your neighbor would, be re- would in theory, be responsible for removing that tree. If it had been maintained, and there were, like here in the Northeast, there are nor'easters where the wind starts, it comes from the opposite direction. Instead of coming from the west, it comes from the east, and that can cause, the trees are used to, the wind from the west, and so there's cases where the trees get snapped. And so if it's an act of God, and it falls, your neighbor's tree falls out of your property, it's like the law says that you're responsible to, to clean it up, even though it's your neighbor's tree. So a lot to consider here about being good neighbors, about uh, communicating with our neighbors effectively, and uh, just being aware, getting information, figuring out what can and can't be dealt with. There's lots more to cover on this topic. I think uh, in future episodes, we're going to talk about what to plant, what not to plant, vista pruning. We'd love to get into some of the topics of right-of-way or land use and how it differs in other parts of the world because it's, it's really fascinating. So join us here for future episodes. Any last thoughts about being a good neighbor before we call an end to this episode? Well, I guess like to be neighborly, to be friendly. Maybe you're an introvert, <laughs> but... But to be neighborly and that that and and to communicate if there's concerns, that goes a long way. Say, you know, we'd like to create some privacy. We're thinking of putting up this type of planting, this type of offense. In some cases, you get unexpected good results, and the neighbors have said, "Oh boy, you know, we've we've wanted to do that for so long. How about we share the cost?" That is not uncommon, and we have situations where that or a tree, the neighbor will be willing to share the cost of pruning a tree. It's often. They might not have had the information. They'd say, oh, well, it's going to be like $2,000 to prune this heritage old tree. We'll both benefit. Let's split it. So by being neighborly, communicating, you can often get better results than, than you would expect. Yeah. And, and the expectations you might have for your neighbors should be so the, the standards you might set for yourself. I, I'm just thinking of myself in some situations where I'm like, I was a little more like defensive than I needed to be. <laughs> right. Like being a good neighbor. It does take work like any relationship. So um, some of these landscape principles will hopefully help make that a little easier. That, that's our hope for this episode. So we look forward to joining you all again for our next episode in another week. And thank you for joining us in the landscape. Thank you. 